And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 23, I Mock You With My Monkey Pants. This week we're discussing season 2, episode 10 of Buffy, What's My Line, part 2, and season 2, episode 8 of Doctor Who, The Impossible Planet. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, part two of this very exciting two-parter. Finally, we get the answer to how the heck there can be a second Slayer. There are two Slayers. Which is interesting. I mean, I can't say that I guessed the answer, but... When you hear it, it's like, okay, that makes that makes sense, you know, that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we know there's only one, but we also know that there is always one, presumably, like, you know, there's no gaps in between. Right. There, there's no time without the Slayer. It's like... Yeah, there's a sort of mystical trigger. Exactly. That... So it sounds like a pretty instantaneous thing and a pretty automatic thing, you know, like it doesn't wait mm-hmm. to see whether Buffy comes back. It's sort of like... Nope, she's dead, right. and it doesn't matter if, as she says, she's only gone for a minute. Apparently, like, virtually, instantaneously, somehow this other yeah. Slayer is activated. Right. They're not, it's not like consulting doctors and looking up legal requirements <laughs> for, you know, brain death versus actual yeah. death versus vegetative states or anything. Right. It's yeah. It's like, nope, you're dead. I know you're dead. I'm hopping over here. Yeah. If you come back, eh, you know. Yeah, and interesting that, I mean, I think there's a couple really interesting things. I mean, interesting that it doesn't leave Buffy, right? It's not like it transfers from Buffy to somebody else. It's like when Buffy comes back, she's still the Slayer. It's just Mm -hmm. now there are two. So the rules are maybe, I would have thought that maybe that meant that then the power would transfer to somebody else. Or maybe it goes to Kendra, and then when Buffy comes back, it leaves Kendra again, but no, the rules are more bendy than that, that it activates another (laughs) Slayer, but it doesn't necessarily course correct when it suddenly has two. So even though there's only one Slayer, if somehow accidentally there are two Slayers, that continues to be true. It doesn't like take away, there's no rule that there can't be more than one. It seems. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could get into sort of a dangerous game where, like, yeah. you you kill and then bring back, you know, like Flatliners, the Slayer edition. <laughs> you know, it's like you flatline and then like a new Slayer's triggered, new Slayer's triggered, and you have like a dozen maybe. Yeah, I yeah, don't know. Yeah. If, I don't know if that would work or not. It would be a a, a tricky thing to to sort of yeah. deal with. But yeah, no, I mean, I think there's a couple things. So so first of all, I think you're right that it you know Buffy coming back, like she doesn't come back powerless right she still has her powers because in fact she comes even, back a little bit more powerful than she was before yeah I, I, and i don't know like that might be more a competence thing than like an actual like objective you know she turned her powers up to 11 or something you know what i mean like yeah you know i think that might be more like no i'm 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 back and i'm gonna kick the master's ass mm-hmm. kind of thing um but but yeah, she she does like she's still Buffy. She still is the Slayer, mm-hmm. um, and Kendra is also the Slayer. Which is <laughs> I, I like 
like I don't think we're meant to think of it as like oh no now they're both each a slayer uh-huh. like I think it you know you get the sort of disconcerted you know dichotomy with no I'm the slayer no I'm the slayer well no you're both the slayer yeah. and I think like in this world that's not a contradiction right. um now there is still sort of a succession like uh-huh. You know, Kendra is coming after Buffy and and taking on that responsibility. And, and of course, I mean, we'll go on to talk about (laughs) how that happens and sort of Buffy's thoughts and Kendra's thoughts on on those things here. But, um, yeah, I know, like, it's not like there's only one Slayer power that leaves Buffy and goes into Kendra. It's the the Slayerness. And and actually, Kendra even alludes to this at the end when she says, you know, oh, you still... You, you treat being a slayer like it's a job. It's not like Buffy has resigned or, you know, retired or been laid off or whatever analogy you want to use. And now Kendra is filling that role or position. It's the slayerness is Something inherent. Something inside that has been activated. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I, it's, I do, the power is still there. Yeah. I do have a question though. Um, okay. And maybe, I don't know if, this is something that can be answered or will be answered, so you can shed light on this. But I thought sure. I think it's interesting that okay, and bear in mind I was six years old when I saw Buffy the movie. So correct me if I'm wrong <laughs> in my understanding sure. of. But I was under the impression that Buffy didn't really know she was the Slayer until she became one. Is that mm-hmm. right? Is, am I remembering that right? Like, like yeah, like so. You're right, right, right. And in the movie, it's um, Donald Sutherland who yeah, is, the, is watcher the watcher who comes and informs her of it. Right. Um, so I guess then the question, because it's interesting that that doesn't seem to be the case with Kendra. Kendra seems to have. She. I mean, I don't say seems. I mean, she says that she was. You know that her family, who apparently are fully aware of you know her destiny as the slayer or whatever um you know sent her to train with a watcher when she was young so which means it was, was well before before yeah. she was the slayer she knew she was going to maybe eventually be one and has been training for it and so what changed is not her knowledge but but maybe a certain level of power that got you know bumped up once Buffy died or whatever like maybe she got some spidey sense that like oh (laughs) you know the slayer has been killed now I'm the slayer the the one and only and everything and now it's my job to go off to the hellmouth which is where the main activity is so um, I mean, there's, there, is there's that a, a couple, contradiction, yeah, yeah. or you know, what? There, there's going on? there's a couple things. There's a couple things, and honestly, I've only seen the movie once. Yeah. Um, though it, I was older than six when I saw it, <laughs> and it was actually after I first saw the series. So, um, so more recently, I, than I me. should I should remember it, but. <laughs> um, and 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 if yeah, it contradicts like, the movie, that's not the end of the world. I just want to make sure I understand why there, is there, that one thing for right. Kendra and something else for Buffy. There's a couple things. First of all, I, I would go back to our first podcast episode where, where, yeah, the 
the movie isn't wholly consistent with Joss's vision of the Slayer now. So yeah, that you know, relying on the movie there may not be. It may just not sync up. Yeah. So that that's yeah. perfectly possible. And that's fine. Um, there, there definitely would be a sense of the power of being a slayer. Yeah. So you, you, you might equate it to other like superhero movies where you have like, you know, Spider-Man suddenly like pushing a chair and it goes mm-hmm. flying across a yeah, room yeah, kind yeah. of thing. You, and that's, you know what I mean? that's the idea that I got was like, she was training, but that doesn't mean she was yet right. the slayer. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's, I think, exactly what we're supposed to get as far as Kendra goes, that, right, they knew the potential was there. So she was a potential slayer. And, you know, at some point she might, you know, when she becomes a slayer, there definitely would be that sense of power, whatever. But also remember, so, like, even if it was in the movie, because in the movie, you know, Buffy, Buffy certainly shies away from it. As we see at the beginning of the series, Buffy's like, no, I, you know, I'm revoking my Slayerness. Like, I want to, I'm giving it back. You know, whatever is essential about being a Slayer, I don't want it anymore. Or tries to do that. And, and I think, you know, when she's first finding out, whether it's in the movie or in the origin comic that, that came out, that was, you know, more based on Joss's script, I would suspect, and I, I would have to go back and actually look, but I would suspect that there would be that, that sense of power, but also the, you know, a deep sense of not wanting to have the power and, you know, having to be convinced because she hasn't grown up knowing that this was her destiny or basically being indoctrinated to the fact that this is her destiny because that's more the sense you get from Kendra is is one of deep indoctrination and, rather and than And that's what's interesting to me is not you know um I I didn't mean to just make it about oh how does this sync up with the movie or not what's interesting to me is how does even just within the canon of the TV show how does mm-hmm. Buffy's situation contrast with Kendra's because that's interesting to me that slayers don't all come to it the same way. That some of them are told when they're very young that they have this potential and they're and they're guided and they're trained and they're, you know, given from their family to this, you know, calling and everything. And then you've got Buffy, who her parents have no idea. Nobody told them she's the slayer. She certainly didn't know. She never trained for it. She just, mm-hmm. I, I assume, woke up one morning and had this power and a watcher turned up on her doorstep and said, here's what you are. So that's what's interesting to me is, okay, so there's no, there's, there's, there, there doesn't seem to be a, a standard for how one becomes the slayer. And you don't have to train at it necessarily because... Buffy didn't before. I mean, she's training now, but she wasn't. I would disagree with that. Okay. Because here's, well, and here's my theory, and you tell me if you get this this sense. Okay. Um, because there, I mean, there is a lot that you just don't learn throughout the series, so I don't pretend to know everything yeah. about it. But I would say this. I think that we're meant to look at Kendra as the way that you're supposed to train a slayer. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. And, and certainly, I mean, we get those sort of things from Daz. Oh yes, there is a handbook. I just didn't think that <laughs> it, it was, was appropriate it was for work, you. Yeah. Like Giles is, 
using unconventional means yeah. for an unconventional slayer. And yeah. and this is, I mean, and everything in this episode points to that. The fact that Buffy has friends, she doesn't have a secret identities yeah. per se. I mean, it's yeah. not like... and that's why Kendra She's really, not going around yeah. posting it on Facebook. Well, there is no Facebook at this point. But, you know what I mean? She's not, like, shouting her identity either. But she's certainly, you know, there's plenty of people who knows that she's powerful and... Yeah. And who who even knows the secret that she's a slayer? Even you know friends from L.A. who figured it out, like you know with um, oh shoot, what's his Ford. name? Who came Ford? Yes, yes. So, uh, and, and so, so I think Kendra is the right way, and I think in that instance, I mean, you can call it an anomaly or a uniqueness or whatever you want right. to call it with Buffy that for some reason, right, right. So it's the, not so much the Watchers did not pick up on the fact that she was a potential. Okay, so so. So it's not so much Kendra versus Buffy as Buffy versus everybody else. <laughs> like that's right. what's being contrasted which, is Buffy I, Buffy against the norm for how which is interesting. That's what's yeah. interesting to me is like okay, exactly. nobody thought to mention to her or nobody realized. And and it's not the watchers getting around and looking at potential slayers and picking who's who's the best one. It's like some like you called it like a mystical force. It's some um, thing which just activates on its own, right? Like, like a Slayer dies and that's the sense it goes that we get. into yeah. Buffy, regardless of whether anyone thinks she's the most qualified. Right. Um, now, I, I I feel like we may be dangerously treading into an area where I might slip up and give okay, you know, spoilers. We, well, we so I leave I, it at that. I, I just want to say, like, you know. Keeping it for what we know now. Yeah. One, we do. So, at the very least, okay, we now know that there are people who know that they could possibly be slayers before they become slayers. Right, right. There's this kind of community of watchers. And and we know that there's multiple, at least one other watcher out there. Yeah. And that Giles was aware of him and knew how to contact him. Right. They have a scholarly (laughs) community where where they can have a reputation and, yeah. And correspond yeah. and, with each other and everything. And and it's not a stretch to imagine that there are probably other Watchers more than just the one that Giles is aware of. Yeah. Um, in this episode, I mean. Um, and that some of them may, in fact, be harboring other probably younger Slayers and training them much in the way that Kendra was trained before mm-hmm. she became a Slayer. Like, I don't, I don't think any of that is too much of a stretch or a spoiler or anything yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, at this point, and again, you know, there was a trigger, and it triggered Kendra, and, you know, now she's a Slayer, too. Um, I do want to point out, though, that I don't think we can make the same jump with regard to other Slayers. So I think we could, you, we can make the jump to other Watchers and other potential, you know, people who might become Slayers sometime, at some vague point in the future when mm-hmm. Kendra dies, but I don't think we can make that jump and say that there's actually other Slayers out there at the same time. Because we also right. learn that this having two Slayers is unprecedented. At sure. least insofar in, of all the book knowledge that Giles has. And presumably the other Watchers too. Because I'm sure it would be something they would share amongst each other if it had ever happened before. Yeah, and, that, and even though the rule of there being one maybe is more flexible than we thought. That doesn't mean that there can be any or under any circumstances. It's like we still have the rule of 
Yeah. We still know that Buffy had to die for another one, so... Which I think, you know, again, So I would points, assume that that is what needs to happen for the next one to be activated. You know, I, I again, I think this points to Buffy's uniqueness, because Buffy's the one who came back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And the presumption there is slayers don't come back no. from the dead. Why? Yeah. Because the vampires who kill them, and for the most part, it's going to be vampires who kill them. Like, yeah. I mean, they're the supernatural beings who are strong enough to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've already learned that Spike has killed a couple yeah. um, slayers. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something um, where I think we can, you know, again, point to Buffy's strength and, and maybe because of her unconventional coming to the slayer power, she, um, you know, she even talks about with Kendra about the use of anger and emotion, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, in, in fueling her fight, you know, and the fact that she had friends. It was Xander who revived her, mm-hmm. right? She would not have revived on her own. It's the very thing that makes her unconventional, which brought her back. And that's, you know, what continues to make her unconventional from a Slayer perspective. So now you have an outcast within an outcast community, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like it's, yeah, it's just a very illuminating, I think, episode here. And, and actually I listened to the commentary. There's a really good commentary from Marty Noxon who um, co-wrote the last episode and wrote this episode, um, you know, just sort of talking about how Kendra does come in and really humanizes Buffy um, almost by, continuing to isolate her right it's like now she's even more isolated than she even was not only is she isolated her has she felt isolated before mm-hmm. but now she's even isolated insofar as she's different from all the other slayers right. too <laughs> right well, not only is she, is she the slayer but you get the sense that she suddenly feels like she's not even doing that right like she's <laughs> yeah. not she's not studious enough she isn't secretive enough she's she too emotional even, she's yeah she couldn't even die properly yeah yeah i only i only died a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah um, like everything she does is the opposite of the way kendra would do it and so yeah yeah no no I, and i was just gonna say like maybe like it like maybe we can even look at more specifically just kendra and mm-hmm. and buffy together because um yeah, I think that's all that's all right. I mean, we get I mean, we you know, we saw Kendra in the last episode, but we don't really meet her till this this episode, right? Yeah. I mean, we just kind of get they're fighting at the end and then she's like, "I am Kendra, the vampire slayer" in her wonderful accent. <laughs> um so, okay, they call me Kendra. I have no name, she says, which yeah. is actually wrong. She does have a uh, no last name. I mean, um, she does have a last name. It's Young. Kendra Young is her ah. full name. Um, that's I don't know if that ever comes out in the series or if that's just sort of like back history or whatever. But I just thought that was kind of weird that they put that in there when, in fact, they did give her a last name. And, you know, interesting. Did they sort give, of is the it, mythology did that come later or is that yeah, just I don't, a mistake? That's or? what I'm saying. Like, I don't I don't remember yeah. if that ever comes out in the actual series or huh. if that's just backstory. Um, right, because then that, I mean, that even made me question, like, you know, what does that mean? Like, they took away her, her name. Does that mean Kendra's even really her name? Like, you know, you get this, and whether or not it is, I mean, we can't say. Yeah, it, but and like, it's not even, like, you get that a sense super, of like, like... You get that sense of, like, a code name. Like, like she's, yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, no. You know, <laughs> I mean, but I think it, it gives that impression of, like, that's part of her being taken out of her 
home and given to this calling is, you know, mm-hmm. is, you know, this kind of like renouncing your family, stripping away of the family name and the yeah. family identity and everything. And that's another way that she's, I mean, like she is Buffy's opposite in every single way. So yeah, her family know that she's the Slayer and Buffy's don't, but she also doesn't really have a family anymore or friends or any sort of, you know, Buffy feels like she has no normal life, but she's got yeah. a heck of a normal life compared to Kendra, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, no, exactly. So, so like, you know, there's some ways in which, you know, and it's kind of this give and take. I mean, I think Kendra's all about like that, that line about the technique is really what sums up Kendra. So she's, I mm-hmm. kind of think of it like Kendra follows being a slayer to the letter and Buffy follows it to the spirit, right? So like Kendra does everything by the book. So she renounces the family. She trains when she's young. She, you know, memorizes the volumes and the handbook. Um, she travels in secret. Uh, she doesn't have personal relationships. It's just whatever the rule book says is what she does. And it's Mm -hmm. very, she's very serious and very focused and, you know, everything is about, doing it properly whereas Buffy is the exact opposite of that and Buffy kind of couldn't care less about the rules but like she says she has the imagination and she has the freedom and the spirit which is probably what makes her so unique and anomalous in the first place right. so you know all those things uh, which... but according to Kendra it's also why she died <laughs> no, you know no wonder you died but, it's because you don't but pay attention to your watcher and you go off on your own half cock that might be true but my counter to that would be well the slayers always die what Buffy did was come back which they don't always do and I wonder if this imagination is not why she died but why she came back like that's yeah. yeah you know yeah no i i and i think that's part right again i mean we talked about xander's role already yeah. you know the the fact that she has friends whereas kendra mm-hmm. doesn't right you know although potentially she has a friend now right and i mean <laughs> but, and it is you a know given, an ally it is a but... give and take that like buffy's hot head does get her into trouble like we see what happens mm-hmm. when she goes blundering in after angel without going to get help i mean if Kendra and her friends hadn't come to rescue her, that would have been it for Buffy. Um, but so that so that is potentially a weakness and potentially can be a bad thing. But also, it's the friends coming in to rescue her, which is what saves her as well. So it, it you know, it. I think the yeah. kind of there's a both and rather than an either or you know it it is it is good to keep a level head and to think and you know be rational and listen to your watcher but it's also not good to sever all community ties yeah yeah, because then you're on your own right yeah yep and then you don't get to talk to boys yeah that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well so, and you can see and you can see Kendra's I think I mean definitely by the end you can see Kendra's sort of envy of that like the way she watches Buffy and Angel and then goes to help you know it kind of speaks to how she maybe mm-hmm. doesn't 
agree with Buffy, but at least is a little bit envious of her position. And her willingness to withhold the information from her watcher that she did go help, you know, there. Um, And and metaphorically speaking, the the shirt that Buffy gives her Mm -hmm. at the end is is an indication that she is kind of becoming more like Buffy, too, I, I, I think. I mean, that's sort of how I take that. You know, I, I mean, obviously, there's the very practical reason that I mean, but come on, the slice in her arm, you know, uh, you know, her sleeve of her shirt wasn't like that big. She could have sewed that back up. You mean to tell yeah. me someone that self-sufficient doesn't know how to stitch up a garment. Yeah. But, um, you know, the fact that she accepts a shirt from Buffy and, and, and wears it and whatever, I mean, it, you know, is almost um bringing her closer to the mainstream whereas yeah. you know Buffy feels that she's so far out of the mainstream but yet is able to kind of pull Kendra you know a little more towards her I think in in that respect yeah and I think even um, pretty early in the episode we can see Kendra seeking Buffy's approval like she may completely disagree mm. with Buffy's feelings for Angel but she looks awfully shamed when she lets it slip that she's locked Angel in the cage. You know, like, she's mm. kind of not wanting to look Buffy in the eye. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, she, I don't know, it's like, it's not that she agrees with Buffy's feelings, but she wants, she doesn't want to get on Buffy's wrong side or, and, like... And I think there's a recognition of authority exactly, there, too. Yeah. That That, yeah. oh, you know... Now, now that we've sort of figured out what's going on, she does at least acknowledge that Buffy has been Slayer longer than... Now, we know yeah. that Buffy hasn't been Slayer much longer right. than Kendra, you know, like less than a year longer, but... Uh, or, you know, ish, I guess. But, yeah. um, you know, I think there's... We, you definitely see the abeyance to authority there. Yeah. And, and just in general in Kendra's personality. And, and I think maybe we're meant to read a little bit of that in her deference to Buffy, her deference to Buffy, not deference, <laughs> her deference to Buffy, um, you know, in that situation. Um, and, you know, letting, like, she keeps talking about, you know, oh, we have to talk to the Watcher, you know, you have to talk to your Watcher and you have to get permission or whatever. But then she still follows Buffy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. in, in all the various circumstances. So it's, yeah, it's an intriguing, you know, sort of sort of dichotomy there. I think because you you can co- sort of see how um, Kendra, you know, wants to be, you know, kind of does want to model herself a little bit maybe after Buffy and 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 sort of break away. I think a little from the 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 well the patriarchy almost of of the Watcher mm-hmm. um, system that that we see is in full effect with her, of which Buffy doesn't really take any, any you know uh, yeah yeah like she's just like whatever like your giles the librarian <laughs> and i i love that giles i'm like giles is really funny because i love that he didn't even like tell her that there was a handbook <laughs> like like this is like so much a non-issue which says yeah. a lot about giles too it does and actually that's a great point and 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 I think that now that we know a little about Giles's history, mm-hmm. you almost have to kind of think like he's kind of a perfect guy for training someone like Buffy. Like 
like, yes, we can see Giles as like the stodgy, you know, librarian, scholastic guy, but we know that he hasn't always been that yeah. guy. Yeah. Like, we know that he's dabbled in the black arts and, you know, been a bit of the punk and, and, and the rogue spirit. So, like, he, in a way, like, that history kind of sets him up as, as a good watcher because he knows, he knows when. Oh, I mean, and and not to say that he always knows. Like, I mean, there's clearly times where he's wrong too. We, I mean, we've seen times where he's been wrong and has admitted to being wrong. But I think it does give him a better sense, anyway, of when it might be right to just sort of throw out the rule book with someone like Buffy. And like he says here, like I just with you, I didn't think it would I make any difference. Yeah. So yeah, there was no point in forcing you to study these, you know, tomes which and is, the handbook which is and funny whatever. It's, it's partly a backhand it, it, or it's partly an insult, which is how Buffy takes it. Like, mm-hmm. what, what do you mean with my case? What's wrong with my case? Like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, there's something wrong with me, you know, but it's also a kind of strange backward compliment too like mm-hmm. like yeah he's not even gonna try buffy doesn't need the handbook right like right. it's right it, like not even like not it's even irrelevant like, for I, her. we have to yeah. use it even though i know it's an exercise of futility it's like no right. like you know what this thing not even relevant throwing it out the window and you're right. gonna and, yeah, and you can fend for yourself right no absolutely and he's right he's not doing he's not reneging on the handbook you know, because she's dumb or because she can't, you know, figure it out or anything like that. I mean, partly it's because she probably wouldn't do it, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's that exercise and futility that he just doesn't want to put up with. Like, there, you know, I already have too many things to fight about with you. Why bother? But like, yeah. there's also the aspect, I think that you're absolutely right, that she doesn't, she doesn't really need it. She has the intuition, you know, um, so, yeah, no, I, I think that's that's really great point. Um, man, I'm trying to think. I had so many notes on Buffy and Kendra, but I feel like if we keep talking about them, we're not going to get to any of the other characters. Um, and we do need to at least get to a few other of them. Yeah. Um, See if there's anything else really important that we need. I mean, and just it just kind of caps off with where we were... Oh, well, I do want to say, uh, claim a little bit of triumph that last week I sort of predicted that Buffy might see Kendra as a potential way out of being a slayer. And at first I thought it was looking bad for my theory because Buffy's immediately very threatened and very rude and Mm -hmm. wants her gone. And then... And I thought, oh, man. And then slowly she started to kind of go more in that direction of seeing this as you know a, a, a loophole so it did go there eventually although you know it comes back around to that idea of the career day and Kendra mm-hmm. kind of putting yep. the final cap on it where this stop thinking of this as you know a job to do you know that this isn't like a, a career like that you're going to choose versus something else this is right right part of you and Buffy acknowledges that she's good at it. Um, so does yeah. she have to sacrifice things? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's still not um, a calling worth embracing, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and and I like that Kendra doesn't call it 
a calling. Yeah. <laughs> like she, she says it's, it's, it's just, just part of yeah. you. It's just who you are. It's, you know, yeah, it makes you a freak, but you know, at least you're not the only one now. And, and yeah, it really, I mean, Buffy says it's, I guess it's not really something I can fight. You know, it's, because otherwise you're just fighting with yourself, mm-hmm. literally, you know, in that in that way. So yeah, yeah, no, that's really good. Um, wanted to mention. So we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast started. Um, so the actress who plays Kendra, um, oh shoot, and I closed my notes. Uh, uh, Bianca Lawson. Uh, Lawson. Yes, thank you. Um, was originally cast as Cordelia. And then we know from our initial discussion on the show that Cordelia was originally <laughs> cast as Buffy. So you brought up the point, like, how funny would that be just if it was a completely different... Alternate universe um, Buffy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, this would have been a completely different, um, you know, show, I think, had we had those things. And, and not in a bad way. Like, I think, um, other than the accent, which I've been picking on um, a bit, I, I do think that... Bianca Lawson does a, a great job um, acting as Kendra here, and and you know she is able to get across all of the things that um, help us to see you know both more about her, but also about Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it would have been a very interesting and different show um, otherwise. But we have the show before us that we actually had made, so let's continue talking about that. <laughs> um, so going from, you know, Kendra and Buffy, I guess maybe we could talk about the point of contention between them, which is Angel. Right. <laughs> um, at the beginning, uh, of course, he's still trapped. And and I have to comment on this because I was listening to the commentary track uh, by Marty Noxon on this episode, and she, and she comments on it, so I feel like it's perfectly fine for us to acknowledge it as well. The The very chintzy sort of cages that various monsters and (laughs) beings of supernatural strength tend to find themselves in. Uh Um, And, you know, first of all, why does Willie have this sort of cage in the back of his bar? (laughs) I don't really think we want to ponder that question too much, given, given what we've learned, what what we learned about (laughs) Willie in this, uh, in this episode. But, um, you know, I mean, the fact is, so I, and, all right, granted, Angel's probably a little bit weak. He he did get beat up a bit by Kendra, and um, the sun is coming up, so maybe, you know, there's some residual weakness from that, although that, well, anyway. Right, I won't give any spoilers, totally but there, area, there, yeah. there, there, there there's other reasons why that may not actually be the case that, that we'll, we could possibly get into in a later episode. But um, the, you know, anyway, so he's in a weakened state. Um, enough so that Willie can sort of drag him out and turn him over to Spike, um, which is a, a pretty interesting move. Although not one that I think we should be too surprised by, given no. the way that he treats Willie <laughs> in last episode. Yeah, and, and like you said, like this is clearly someone who has dealings with vampires on mm-hmm. a fairly regular basis. So, yeah. Yeah, he talks about serving you know vampires and... and potentially other supernatural creatures in his bar. Like that's, that's his normal clientele or at least between certain hours, that's his normal clientele. Um, so yeah, like I, you know, I don't think that we're, you you know, he, he's an opportunist certainly. And, and 
and he makes a few bucks selling Angel to Spike, quite I did, literally. I did, I did wonder where Spike gets money, but that's just <laughs> purely... He yeah, I mean, I he, yeah, he's several hundred years old and has no morals. So, I, yeah, I think we can assume that he has a stash somewhere. Yeah. Um, or if he doesn't, yeah, he got one. Yeah. <laughs> he obtained one somehow. Um, um, yeah, so, uh, but Angel. So, I think, well, in the interest, and so speaking of Spike and Drusos, which is where we see Angel in context most of this episode i mean there's some really uh interesting interplay going on between the three of these yeah uh any anything sort of jump out to you that you wanted to touch on or well again i'm gonna continue to beat on my what is okay what is the nature of the soullessness of the vampire's drum because okay as i'm just kind of adding more data to that i mean Mm -hmm. again i mean we get Spike and Drusilla, who are the bad, soulless vampires, having real human emotion. You know, like, Mm. Drusilla, you know, it's not just torture of Angel for fun. It is that. But also, she spends the whole time... I mean, it's clearly a revenge thing. Like, it's... She's... I mean, now she's now a soulless vampire who inflicts, you know kills innocent people but you know she's also spending the whole time she's you know torturing angel talking about kind of rambling about her family and and how and what he did to them and they used to eat fruit and cake and now they can't eat anymore and i had an uncle and you killed my uncle all this stuff and so (laughs) yeah yeah so, You've been a very bad dad. So for someone who yeah. we've seen prey on kids in the schoolyard, um, mm-hmm. she seems to still harbor personal resentment for what yeah. was done. So, th- so there's at least and residual, there's another aspect. There's at least she's, residual memory there. Um, she, oh yeah, oh yeah, and 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 we've been told that like the vampire has your memories and, and I mean, when you but I mean, when like you get emotional memory. It's not just something that happened to a person who is now dead, and I inhabit their body. It's like no, this is me. You did this to me, and so and so I'm gonna hurt you yeah. back. So um, and then, there's another aspect to it though. Before we move on from that, because it's not just the emotional memory; it's also the current pleasure that she gets out of torturing. Yeah, Angel. That I put, I put that more down to the vampire. That seems but to I'm me just that saying, the vampire like it, would enjoy to do that, whether or not it. But but I guess what my point is is that there's still emotion, right? So yeah. it, like, can you really just right. tie only one emotion to a vampire or not? Right. Or how much of it is her just making excuses? Like she has and, the memories, right. and how much of it is she really saying, "Oh, I miss my mommy and my uncle and my you know family," or is it just an excuse to get the right. pleasure and of maybe. the torture? Um, and 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 I mean, it's Marty Noxon in the commentary says again, like totally acknowledges this is an S and M scene. Like this oh, yeah. is you know like totally meant to be have a sexual tension to it, which Definitely, Angel yeah. goes and and plays on in front of Spike to well, try to get that, him. That, uh, exhibit sorry. Exhibit B is Spike, who can be yeah. provoked into real anger and jealousy by mm-hmm. Angel. Um, mm-hmm. So, so again, and, Spike has, you know, these kinds of 
we noted how his his attachment to Drusilla. So yeah, and and in a what seems at least to Spike to be very plausible, you know, in a. I mean, Angel isn't Drusilla's biological father, but in the vampire world, like there, you know, there's a very incestuous sort of yeah. implication in that too. Oh, you've been a very bad daddy, <laughs> you know, like yeah. you know, there, there, there's, there's a lot of uh, implication and well, innuendo and, going and, on and, there, and and some not so innuendo going on there either. And so. also because isn't Angel also Spike's sire? Yes, so exactly. Are so are Spike and Drusilla siblings in some sense? Like, well, in 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 a vampiric in, in, in sense, in a vampiric yeah. sense, like, yeah, but, I mean, not but, a literal biological sense, but but there is a sense all of related of, in some way, you know. Yeah, there is yeah. a sense of of family there. You're right, absolutely, and 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 it's yeah, it, they. I mean, they both have different forms of daddy issues in a way Spike and Drusilla do this, um, with Angel. Like, they're kind of like the Lannisters, aren't they? <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. I had a, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really kind of bizarre. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, and, and so I think, I think it's hard to, to under, like, when we say soulless vampire, I think you know, maybe we should understand that not so much as soulless as just a different soul has taken residence, mm-hmm. and it's a more cruel and more evil one. And and you immoral, know, yeah. and 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 yeah. and an, and an unearthly one and a supernatural one, yeah. but not an emotionless one. Right. No. Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't. I don't necessarily. I don't. I think to say soulless is maybe the metaphorical way that we even use soulless about other people. You know, a lot of people would say someone like Hitler was soulless, but you know, I mean, is that literally true or not? I mean, you know, of course that gets into like philosophical and theological questions. We don't have to get into here, but I think that's part of the, the whole metaphor of the vampire to begin with is, is, you know, if someone is doing these, evil things does that mean they don't have families that you know if you prick me do i not bleed mm-hmm. like you know is well yes in fact they do bleed and 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 in fact they do also have emotions and and um i mean why would a soulless vampire want to study ancient latin texts like our dalton does you know like they still have things that they get pleasure out of doing and they yeah. still have things that causes them pain and and all of the various and, and um, so then nuances how, of emotion between those two things, I think, is, is yeah. And I mean, and it's like, that's true what you say that, I mean, they do have, like, supernatural, you know, strength, and they do have the, a lesser moral code, obviously, but, like, it, it makes me wonder, how different is that from hum- humans, then, really? Like, what... what do we even mean when we say soulless? So keep asking that question right. <laughs> throughout the rest of this series, because I think that's one of like, if, if we're talking high concept show that's here, the, the that's, yeah. that's one of the big, the questions. big questions. I, de- right. I definitely think. And I think, and I think, you know, this is one of the things that we've started to see, uh, you know, setting off season two from season one, where in season one we did have the metaphor of the week. Now we're starting to look at some of those really big questions like, yeah, what does it mean to not have a soul? And what is a soul anyway? And 
if you act and have all the emotions, you know, if, if you act like a human and quack like a human, does that make you a human? Like, you know, I mean, I think those are all valid, valid things. And, and yeah, no, I, I think that's spot on to where we should be looking at. And I think that's what they're trying to mess with us a little bit is saying is sort of that dichotomy of what, we say about the vampires versus what we see about the vampires and trying to sync the two up. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. Like, and, and I think it's, they keep um, revisiting this idea, especially with Spike and Drusilla from Angel's point of view too. You still get that duality, right. Of the vampire with a soul. So he's got both in there, which we saw a few episodes, right. When he fought, when the, 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 um, you, you know, the other demon, uh, yeah, Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 went into him and you know there was that struggle there uh, you know we kind of see that here like he kind of s- lets his demonic side take over a little bit in mm-hmm. that conversation with Spike and Drusilla and you know he's definitely getting under Spike's skin and you and he's trying or maybe not trying he's being you know sort of we're getting a glimpse of what he would have been like as Angelus I think mm-hmm. in that in but that it's episode. also but it's also to be self-sacrificial it's it's for a right it's for right. A, a good cause which is to it's sacrifice himself once. so that yeah. he can stop them it's you know. yin and yang yeah. spinning around together in, and in a single thing maybe maybe the soullessness isn't so much tied to a lack of emotion or pain or whatever it's more to do with a sense of your own morality and restraint so not that Angel doesn't have the same impulses that Spike and Drusilla does, but that he can control them. Um, yeah. And well, and right. They and Spike, as far as we know, Spike, it seems. I mean, he's definitely about to kill Angel yeah. until Drusilla stops him. So it's an external force that stops him in that instance. Yeah, it's Drusilla and I mean, who's stopped. Of like, I mean, yeah, like restraining himself because he needs him for the ritual. Like that. It's not like he's mm-hmm. out of control, but like. Angel recognizes that it's wrong to kill innocent people, even if he wants to, and can right. stop himself from doing that. Whereas Spike and Drusilla have no qualms whatsoever about doing that. Doesn't mean right. that they don't have jealousy and pain and anger and emotion, but they mm-hmm. have lost their sense of what is of their, of their own hypocrisy. I guess like they can still yeah. feel affronted by Angel. But they have no problem hurting other people, you know. Yeah. And Angel yeah. has retained that sense of, well, if I don't want to be, I, I should treat others as I wish they would treat me, kind of, you know. That or at seems least more... hide, hide myself and just not interact with anyone. But, but isn't that <laughs> his way of controlling himself, is by yeah, not I mean, being around them, yeah. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. Yep. No, that's, I think that's right. Um, wow. It, we're like at time and we, <laughs> we haven't, haven't gotten about that, anybody else. Um, the other characters, because we have, we cannot we go talk without talking Willow the two Oz. couples. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we have, have both of them. Well, yeah. well, and neither of them are really quite couples yet. So yeah. I guess maybe that's even a couples in making term, the potential couples, yeah. just like Kendra was a <laughs> potential slayer previously. Um, so, okay, Oz. That guy over there is totally checking you out, Buffy says to Willow. <laughs> oh, that's Oz. He's expressing computer nerd solidarity. 
No, he's that's not. No, what he, he's not. That, uh, he really that is so not what's on his mind. He doesn't have any regard for his own computer nerd and doesn't really care that Willow's one either. <laughs> no. That's the furthest no. thing from his mind. Yeah. 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 No, they're, um, they're adorable. They are. And, I mean, Oz, you know, does the perfect... I don't, I don't know if you can call career day a first date, but, you know, jumping in front of a bullet kind of makes it qualify. Mm-hmm. So that's... Yeah. Go for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the, the, the perfect line when, when at the end, uh, they're at the soda machine and, and Willow walks up, how's your arm? Oh, it's suddenly painless. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, so freaking sweet. That's up there with, you need a doctor for like great lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think you need a doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, his own kind of cute kind of awkwardness, like, you know, like. Talking about getting a job, you have the sweetest smile. Okay, now we're right. going to talk about animal crackers again. Like, it, yeah, like yeah, he's kind exactly. of like his. He has this kind of like just kind of slips it in there. Stream of consciousness, kind of mind, which is really yeah, funny. yeah, and and yeah. I mean, Oz is is a great character. Um, so glad that he's he's in there now. And and you had told me you knew that Seth Green was. Yeah. Um, in the cast even before beforehand and i mean it's it's kind of obvious although in a whedon show you can't ever really say anything obvious is definitely going to happen but it's kind of obvious at this point that they're pretty much going to be getting together like they kind of are by the end of this episode i would say although they're not boyfriend and girlfriend like you know if you however you want to put it in like high school terms or whatever like that's where they are um on the flip side you have Xander and Cordelia. Yeah. Who, um, I've only, I was kind of telling you before, it's only really in, in season two and maybe only in the last couple episodes that I have been getting the sense of the the bickering is starting to get more and more flirtatious. Um, so I was kind of not expecting the kind of passionate make out that we got with the swelling mm-hmm. music and everything which is very funny but but I was kind of starting to wonder like are, <laughs> that is funny I mean the music is hilarious we? there the, the yeah. music is pretty funny um so yeah like I have been starting to want I was kind of didn't want to push it because I thought maybe maybe I was reading too much into it but although I was surprised I wasn't surprised for too long once it happened it was kind of like okay They've been laying the tracks for this for a couple weeks now. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. And I, contrary to Oz, I did not know that that was going to happen. And I have no idea where that will go, if anywhere. So you kind of Yeah, can't, it may not. I mean, you it's... You can't really see them having, like, a serious relationship. But what do I know? Maybe, maybe they're meant for each other. It's, you know, it's one of those things where... If it had just happened once uh-huh. in the episode, like you, right. the you joke could, is you could we sort need of to say, get out of here, and then that's the joke right. is they're so stressed out that they'll stoop to even this. But the, the, but the it, fact that it happens again is what makes again. you say, like, okay, there's more going on than just like yeah. momentary panic, and yeah, and and there's even a few other clues because I mean, obviously Xander like immediately after that right they go to the school and and xander hits on kendra yeah which is like like you just got done like yeah having you know weird basement 
freak out making and out. And he, like, you know, with turns Cordelia the hose here. on her for, like, way too long. And, like. <laughs> yeah, he got a little too much enjoyment out yeah, of spraying yeah. Cordelia and, with the hose. And they get, and they immediately get back to, and then not only does he hit on Kendra, but he starts, like, insulting her. It's like the pulling her pigtails and, like, you know, like, you tease the well, ones that you. And, like and then, but then you can get, you can get, yeah, it's right. It's the, oh, you know, disassemble yeah. means blah, blah, blah. Like, like they're just yeah. right back to insulting each other but, a little bit too hard. But well, but then Cordelia isn't really up to snuff with her usual insult. She calls him dorkhead, which makes you yeah. wonder like, okay, like there's something else going on under the surface there. Right. Like, it, you know, it, it, there's something else sort of interrupting the flow of her normal of her normal stream of, con- you know, right. where, you know, you're talking about Oz's stream of consciousness. I mean, we know, we've seen Cordelia has no filter. Right. So right. the fact that she calls him a dorkhead, yeah. like Not either her, her mind, standard, yeah. either her mind is preoccupied with something else or she's, you know, uh, censoring somewhat yeah. what she's saying. So yeah, some interesting stuff there. And then of course the, the kissing again at the end, I mean, it, it becomes clear that, I I think it's not a huge spoiler or surprise to think that they may kiss at least once more in this series after <laughs> this episode. Okay. Um, you know, like you said, though, who knows where it goes and, and whether that's become something more serious or. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we didn't really get to. Well, I think we talked about pretty much everything. Order Taraka, Worm Guy dies. The yeah. third assassin is the cop. Did want to mention, um, I mean, very different time from today, the fact that they shot a scene with a gun in a school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and wanted to note this was, this was pre Columbine. Yeah. This was this was filmed before, and yeah, Mar- not Marty, long before, but yeah, Marty Knox and um, makes that comment in the commentary as well. That um, yeah, it wasn't long before, but it was before, mm-hmm. and just how much that and then subsequent events have have really changed sort of the the landscape for that. I mean, I don't think you would even be able to get you know something like that done in a school um, in a in a TV show. I mean. May, uh, I shouldn't say have, maybe there has been like I'm not aware of every television episode right, that's aired since then. But you have to be very but, careful about how you treated it and yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and maybe other threats, but not guns. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like uh, I don't know. Anyway, so that's just wanted to point that out because yeah. I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah. Um, so okay, on to uh, Doctor Who. I think. Yeah. Um, I know you have a bone you want to pick before <laughs> we really get started, but I I, I want to start with the setting, uh-huh. the impossible planet, and and so first of all, let me let me make this acknowledgement. I realize the title of the episode is the impossible planet, so like reading in a scientific explanation for all of this is right, maybe right. They, you know going say down the wrong this is impossible and they say <laughs> right. that a lot in the episode <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um but just i don't know it really bugged me the whole way that the sort of the portrayal of the um black hole is happening and 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 the tidal forces pulling away you know, you know the planet um a black hole is just a mass like any yeah. other mass. So there's no reason why, given sufficient distance and whatever, that a planet that's in a, a stable geo 
stationary orbit um, would have those sorts of of things going on. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you've said before, and I'm sure you'll have to tell me this again, that, <laughs> that this is Doctor Who. It's science fiction with a huge helping of fantasy. Yeah. Um, you know, so and you know, and I'm sure there are very similar things in Buffy that that can be picked on. But I don't know for some reason this bothered me more than other things have bothered me. Yeah, and there's, I mean, I, there's my only speculation was that maybe because you do know more about the science of of this particular thing that maybe that that it niggles you more because you know what laws of physics are being violated when they, you know, <laughs> that, that could be that could be. Um, but anyway, I mean, I don't. I actually did enjoy this episode, and I, I liked a lot of the themes in it, um, well, and, and we'll I, I get on to talking say, I about I do want to say really quick that in the commentary they talked about how their original like production designs for the black hole were more scientific, um, mm-hmm. and then the writers and the showrunners came back and said, no, we want, like, Disney's the black hole. Like, we want something really crazy right, and fantastic. Right. <laughs> and what they ended up doing was kind of a halfway between the two. So maybe okay. it's a case of... A compromise that didn't really accomplish. <laughs> it's almost like either. a black hole version of the Uncanny Valley. Sure, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's it's almost like maybe they could have gone either very scientific or very fantastic, but they ended with this kind of halfway point, which isn't maybe yeah. totally satisfying for either side. And, and I think the thing, you know, so it that, might just be a little bit of tonal inconsistency, but. I think the thing that really got me is when they watch in the course of like 30 seconds, like an entire star system get eaten up by the (laughs) black hole where it's like, no, I mean, that would actually have to happen over like, you know, millennia, if Uh not longer. Um, so, you know, I, like you use the analogy of like it going down the drain, like it just kind of spirals. Yeah. yeah, It just kind of like spirals into the black hole. And like, first of all, if you're that close to see that you're in the black hole and you have like time, things happening where you know you get distorted time senses and stuff but you know whatever doctor who the the doctor oh my gosh i just made that mistake (laughs) the doctor is a time lord so maybe he i don't know something's happening but okay i'll so i've said that i'll get beyond it because like i said i did really like some of the themes the themes in this um one thing that i really liked in relation to the black hole was the whole sort of the local legend that they give that you know that the black hole is this demon determined to devour the planet and then it spits it back out because it was poison um and and that I, i thought that was a really cool um you know reference to sort of the legend and i thought they did a really good job with the ood and with the the creepiness of the symbols and the voices um i mean the ood are right out of the cthulhu yeah they are i mean like and and i i love the 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 ood might be my favorite alien one of them oh really one of them I i can't say maybe not it's hard to say they're great I love the year. I, so, and I actually, I wanted to ask you, like, how how much Lovecraftian influence are we meant to read in this? Because, I, I mean, I, I... You know what? In all the listening I've done, nobody's mentioned that. So if if, if it's there, it's either under the table or, or maybe even unconscious or subconscious yeah. or something. Um, I, I, I just get... So for me, I saw a lot... And I, and I actually haven't read a ton of Lovecraft, though I've read you know a few of the key works that he's done. And, and for me, there just seems to be so much in this episode 
Um, That's true, with, because when you with, combine it with the stuff with the beast, it has that this, sense of the, the, the mythology. Like the old, and, the yeah. old ones rising, yeah. and, and, and even again, you know, the local legend of the black hole being the deep. So there's like this confusion between like an actual, like an alien sort of beast versus a mystical mm-hmm. beast versus the heavens, you know, things coming from the stars, yeah. um, and, and tying it all into sort of these, you know, phenomenal... And, cosmic and, and it has and that sense of like, planetary powers. It has that sense of mythology in the sense that the the physical environment and the mythological are you can't separate the two. So right, right. There's a confusion. It's not, there. It's not like yeah. It's not you know. I think it's wrong to say that thunder happens because of Thor, but it's equally wrong to say that we have Thor because we experience thunder. It's not right. <laughs> it's not either of those. It's Thor and Thunder are the same in a sense. And you can't it's a chicken or the egg. Where does one mm. start and the other stop? And and mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that whole thing of the demon and the planet and the black hole, it's kinda of like you're not quite sure where science and and you know, natural phenomena start and where, you know, where that transitions into actual aliens or actual right, supernatural right. demons or you know that's all kind of jumbled together mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely I, I think that's spot on so the um you know and and well and the writing the writing being so old that the TARDIS can't translate it or mm-hmm. at least so out of touch with the rest of civilization because you know it's telepathic so like it should be able to translate that, but right. it can't. And, and, and so again, there's a sense of, you know, ancient writing, you know, things rising from the deeps, old things rising from the deeps, the Cthulhu like mm-hmm. appearance of the Ood, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and again, the, the, the sort of the legend of the, the, the natural explaining supernatural or, or vice versa and, and all of that. Like I'm, I almost feel like it, there's too much there for it not to have to, you know, for it not to be a, a direct sort of homage to Lovecraft. And if it's not, then holy cow, I don't know <laughs> what to make of it because it, it just seems it's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I'd have to do more research to see if the writers have ever acknowledged that. So, you know, either, either they're on, either they just absorbed that through osmosis or maybe that's, that was an influence and they just haven't acknowledged it in any of the, interviews or anything mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. now that you say that it definitely um the 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 combination of the appearance of the ood with like that sense of the supernatural really does have a lovecraftian oh yeah yeah sense and, to it. and and the multiple names even of the beast mm-hmm. that they give you know some call him a bad end and some call him oh where do I, I wrote it all down but i can't oh, remember yeah. now um, um, and the well, and, and Lucifer and yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and of course, the power source that they need is six to the sixth power every six seconds, <laughs> that's, you know, that's a lot of sixes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that three to be exact. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and I mean, that's obvious, that part's obvious, intentional, and sort of the satanic you know, uh, references there. Although 666 isn't, sorry, there's a whole like, you know, mythology around 666. Um, yeah. Where that's not actually like the number in the 
Bible and stuff. But right. anyway, um, at least in popular, in in, in popular, is, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, and and I just think um, that scene with Toby where he's alone in the room is yeah. like oh my god maybe one of the scariest scenes in oh, like the yeah. whole that that first line of don't turn around and how mm. low the register well, is in the voice. It's when like, the music cuts oh. out. Yeah. yeah. When the music cuts it's out so and there's like that little bit of static yeah. first and then the voice. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's cre- crazy. I actually, and, and that I, I wanted to sort of bring up um, a point that I was going to make it just about the scenario itself is that this is totally what I've come to call the cabin scenario. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, this is, and and actually, I was going to bring that up in an episode of Buffy that we won't get into until next season. But now, I mean, this is like a perfect one to bring up sort of my my idea here. So yeah. you you know this, but for the benefit of our listeners, um, back in in June uh, this year, I attended Joss in June the mm-hmm. the um, conference in North Carolina there, and um, my paper was on Cabin in the Woods, the the horror movie that um, Joss and um, uh, Drew Godding, uh, Goddard made, uh, that basically pokes fun a lot, um, uh, but also sort of, you know, takes to extremity, <laughs> uh, the idea of, you know, the cabin in the woods, uh, as a scenario, as a, um, you know, commentary on those movies like the evil dead or like, you know, Friday the 13th or like any movie where you have, scary monsters, you know, trying to get into a structure with people trapped inside, you know, uh, night of the living dead would certainly be another one. Um, and, and, you know, my paper was on expanding that idea to uh, specifically to other Whedon works, um, Buffy and Firefly specifically, but this like fits all my criteria for being a cabin scenario. It it absolutely (laughs) does. And this is, this is a great, uh, you know, great, um, thing. I mean, you know, so first of all, they're in, you know, the structure that is supposed to kind of keep them safe and, and be, you know, the home or whatever. And there's an external threat Mm -hmm. that is coming at them and separating them off one by Mm -hmm. one, you know, like just, just very much like has that great cabin scenario feel to it. So I won't get into more, very, claustrophobic and isolated and yeah i mean but that's total, totally isolated yeah, yeah that that scene with toby though i think you're right is is yeah. very much like that's sort of the beginning of that feel for it right it's that it's that turn in the plot where you know there's something more going on here yeah um yeah yeah Ugh. and then i mean the other big one being um when he's out without his spacesuit and the, it's just smiling at her. Um, mm-hmm. and, oh, and it, yeah. so, and it actually reminded me, which I mean, and this is another cabin scenario movie. I, um, I don't know if you've ever seen event horizon. No, I, th- this had some overtones of that movie to me mm-hmm. um, as well. So anyway, um, I, w- I won't get into all that because I could probably go on for hours. That's a great <laughs> movie. Lor- Lawrence Fishburne um, does a fantastic job there. But anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, so I I really do like um, if we could ignore like the whole black hole uh-huh. thing, which I know we can't because it's like part of the entire plot, but. Um, I, I really do like how they put together a lot of this. Um, and I like the characterizations of the crew. Yeah, actually, um, before 
we before we get into them, I feel like we talked mostly about like the the beast and the demon, but oh, let's, let's yeah, talk about yeah. the ood for a couple of minutes okay, because sorry, I yes. I want to distinguish the ood from the beast because well they're a basic slave race they're a basic slave race and and I think and they think in basic yeah. I'm not sure what those basic numbers are supposed to mean yeah I'm not sure but um I I mean I think what I love about them and what makes them sort of iconic is that contrast well is the fact that you know are they really monsters I mean yeah they get possessed but so does Toby does that make Toby <laughs> a monster yeah. I think they're they're empaths and so and they're slaves so they're sort of softened up and and you know susceptible well, to this sort and- of takeover but it's that contrast between the way they look which is very weird and monstrous and scary yeah. and then the gentleness and the politeness we must feed we must, we must feed, feed. <laughs> if you're hungry and just the the voice and everything it's that that yeah. duality which just makes them so interesting i think yeah no i i think you're right and and for me the sort of the so yeah they're they're empathic right they they communicate empathically somehow um but so but they're reactive Mm -hmm. like that that's the thing that i i sort of picked up on that is like you you know especially when um you know what what is it uh when rose gets the phone call right he is awake and and they all say and you will worship him like they're not like you know it's almost like it's like a liturgy you know what yeah. i mean like it's it, it it's just like yeah, oh it's the, a call and response from the the, the, yeah. the priest said something now i have to say it back yeah. you know like i you don't get the sense like until they're possessed and that says we are legion you know we're the legion of the beast but that's because the beast has just possessed all of them right, <laughs> like you right. know like it's we not see like the writing go out of toby and into them yeah and then, yeah but you're right they're not um, really possessed before that they're just sort of you know that that empathic thing is that they're responsive to yeah the telepathic and, and, field or whatever and 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 it seems like that that empathic field or whatever is is um yeah like so they're obviously aware of the beast and it because because there's that moment too where um you know the 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 basic number is ticking upwards mm-hmm. and and they're like, oh my god, you know, uh, Danny, the ethics committee, <laughs> um, is is you know saying like, oh, you know, they're they're shouting in their heads or whatever, and then the doctor's like, or something shouting at them, uh-huh. like, and, and 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 of course he's the doctor, and we we've come to know that like his he's probably right <laughs> his, his 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 reasoning happens at you know many uh, exponentially greater speeds than yeah. humans are. So like, he's probably right. Yeah. yeah. Like this is, he's probably got it more right than Danny, the, the ethical slave holder. <laughs> um, so, and I think we're also supposed to sort of take at face value and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong here, or maybe you're just going to say, I'll have to wait until next week mm-hmm. or later tonight when I watch it. Um, that I think we're supposed to take it face value that they, they really are just sort of a race that waits around to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, if that's the case, then they're the perfect race for a thing like the beast, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, Oh, Hey, a, a race of things willing to do whatever I say. Why not? Well, I think that <laughs> you know? definitely plays into their 
vulnerability and like yeah. why they're, they're, yeah, they're, susceptibility. they're so yeah. yeah they're just they're waiting they're the perfect army which is sort of yeah i mean i can't speak to whether you know are is that nature or nurture is that the nature of the ood or is that a kind of right have they been bred that way by I can't, I can't millennia say, of service I can't to the say beast. that, yeah. but in any case, definitely that kind of passivity, I think, is definitely what makes them susceptible to possession. Um, well, and, and that brings out a couple interesting features in comparison with the humans. So mm-hmm. then does that make the humans like the beast for using them in that way? You know, as servants, as whatever. Um, I really want to talk about Danny. I keep bringing him up, but you know, I think we're good. You want to go on to the characters? (laughs) Well, well, I I do kind of, but I mean, you know, the the other thing I was going to say is the the one man ethics committee. (laughs) Yeah, who who is in charge of a race of slaves? Mm -hmm. Like everybody has one. Um, Yeah, and I think, but I think the other part of it is that you know what we get the doctor saying to. I think it's to Zach, right? When when he's like, you know, but why did you come out here? Why did you come to investigate this power source? It's because it was there. Mm-hmm. So there's there's like, um, like they never would have stumbled upon the Ood had it not been for the very thing that makes them different from the Ood, the initiative that humans have. So so there's, which I think we're meant to take as a good thing. So it's you know I don't think it's a clear cut. No, Ooh, just actually, maybe even that's... even like we were talking about with the vampires. Like, yeah. there's not. I don't think we're supposed to have a clear cut idea of of what to make of the humans in this scenario, let alone the aliens. I think like, so, and I think I would say definitely we're going to come back to that next week because of this. This obviously ends with the cliffhanger. This is a double episode. Um, the I think like the main theme or one of the main themes that it's really talking about is this human impulse to explore and to, mm-hmm. and, and to see that as both a virtue and a vice in different yeah. ways. And, and I think, you know, that's the doctor's thing of, um, why did you come here? Why? I'll tell you why it's because yeah. it was there and that's brilliant and you're great. And I love you for that. I'm going to give you a big and hold. Let me give you a I'm hug. I'm going to give you a whole hug, but then I'm going to tell you you're a moron and you really should get back in your ship right, and fly right. away. You know, you're yeah. playing with fire and you're going to get burned. And the doctor recognizes both the admirable qualities and the reckless qualities of that, that it's, it's not either or, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I and 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 of course there's I mean there's even you know some metaphor in there about drilling for power mm-hmm. you know yeah. to get off of the yeah, you know thing and 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 and, and, yeah. and how does our how does our um you know that that very impulse that you're talking about how does that affect the environment and the things around us and and indigenous peoples or whatever you know mm-hmm. like I, I you know you can sort of add all of that in there too like I mean yes it's a good impulse but there's there's also a lot of bad things that kind of can come along with that. Mm-hmm. If you're not aware, if your ethics committee is only one man <laughs> and not too concerned about, ethics. you know, <laughs> ethics. Yeah. Not too concerned about, you know, Oh, well, they're not like us. They're not like us. They like to be told what to do. Yeah. I mean that, and actually I hadn't really thought about this while I was watching it, but that's like, that's totally, you know, uh, people coming to Africa or to America from, you know, Western nations, you know, it's like, 
that's that's right <laughs> you know yeah. that whole sort of uh, 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 you know uh, um, colonialism mm-hmm. mentality yeah the white, you know, the white man's burden that's exactly yeah. what it, if if I don't tell them what to do they pine away and die I'm helping them by yeah. giving them work to do because they need me they can't function without me and that's yeah. the whole psychology behind that whole imperialistic idea Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so no, a lot, lot of good, lot of good stuff there, and and again, like you said, it's not that it's only good or only bad. There's there's both aspects to it, and it's yeah, it's pointing pointing that out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, have I picked on on Danny enough? <laughs> um, you can pick I mean, on th- Danny. There's not. I mean. He, the, what else is there to say? He's, like, he's kind of a one he's a one no wonder. Yeah. yeah. He's not, like, yeah. totally contempt, contemptible, but, like, mu- not much of what we see about him is very nice. No, he, <laughs> like, he's, he's just the, kind he, of there. He's the wrong guy in the wrong job. Yeah. But, like, apparently he was chosen for that job. Like, it's not right. like Zach, who is the captain, you know, he's the acting captain because the other captain died and he's kind of forced into command. Um, and he's not like Jefferson, who's in a job that he's good at and competent enough to do. Or like, you know, even Toby, who, yeah, okay, he gets possessed, so maybe he, there was a wrong turn he made at some point. Right. But, um, or, even, or even like the other, so like, in, or Scooty. I mean, she's training, right? Yeah. Did I say her name right? Scooty? Yeah, I think so. Scooty, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, like, she, you know, she's in training, so like... You know, you expect her to make mistakes and she'll get better as time passes. You know, like there's there's just like like everyone else kind of seems like fit or or at least in their appropriate place. But Danny <laughs> is the wrong guy for the job. Yeah. He's just he's he shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, and like clearly so you wonder how it, it's almost like you can almost just imagine some bureaucracy. You know, it, this is like. The OSHA guy, you know, at the plant, like who, like he, he's there because you have to have one, right. you know, by law. And so you get whoever's willing to kind of step into the, we'll book. and the I don't, I mean, guy oh, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, and I don't mean to insult like OSHA guys or, 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 you know, factory workers or anything or, or wherever else you might have an, an OSHA representative. Like I'm, I'm sure there are many who are very competent and, and do their job appropriately, but there are companies who maybe wouldn't be too concerned about who is in that spot. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so like, you almost get the sense like this is one of those sorts of expeditions where they just kind of had to have someone to fill the seat. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. That sounds about right. <laughs> um, but I do like everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, and I don't dislike Danny. I just think he's not, yeah, he's not well suited yeah. for his position. I agree. Um, the the captain Zachary, yeah. uh, I you know he's really good, and I and I think it's to his credit that he ends up letting the doctor go. I mean, not that like the doctor was going anyway, right? right. So it's <laughs> like I mean, but he persuades him, and it like you know because you I mean you see those movies and those shows where like no I'm like I mean you you know just think of like any Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk you know goes 
with the crew, uh, yeah. you know, down to the surface of the planet. No, that's not right. And the doctor says that's not right. Yeah. You're, you need to stay here because you're the leader. Like yeah. this is, you, you're not the leader of the expedition. You're the leader of the entire ship and you need to lead. Even though at one point he's yelling, someone please tell me what's going yeah. on <laughs> from his command center and nobody will. Um, yeah, no, definitely. He kind of, you know, you can see that he's someone who, maybe was another scientist or another soldier or something that this isn't the role he was expecting mm -hmm. to take, but seems to be, you know, insecurities he was, aside, yeah. he's stepping up to the plate and is kind of doing what he needs to do and doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And has um, like, and has a, a good enough sense of character judgment to trust the doctor and, and make use of his skill and everything. Yeah. No, there, there's, there's a lot to be said there. I mean, it's, you, you know, you get this sort of the trope of the reluctant leader, mm -hmm. um, but not in sort of a cheesy way like you sometimes get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like the, I've definitely seen that come in where, like, either it's because of the actor who's playing it, you know, the role, or, or because of, like, just the person, you know, the character that has been created. You don't get the sense of, like, that they're really as humble as they're trying mm -hmm. to portray themselves as. Um, but like here, you you really do get the sense that that Zachary isn't. Um, he has genuine feelings of inadequacy and yeah. doubt, but he knows when he kind of can recognize that, and he 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 does sort of know when to to like, like yeah, like you said, like he has the judgment to be able to rely on someone else's judgment, exactly. <laughs> like you right. know, like Which is it's what it's like is, yeah. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the recognition that I don't know everything and and being willing to allow someone to make a decision that you're not necessarily sure about, even though, like, I mean, in the end, it is sort of up to you. It it does, you know, at that point become, um, yeah, a matter of trust in your crew and a matter of of being willing to to not be that micromanager, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, sort of person. Yeah. Um, Jefferson, I mean, competent security guy, just overwhelmed, <laughs> you know, I mean, clearly their yeah, security and, and things uh, aren't going to get a whole lot better for him in the second half of the episode. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I wasn't expecting it to, because I, I suspect, I mean, he, he, be, what makes him a good security guy is because he's the kind of guy who puts himself between danger and the rest of the people yeah. that he's protecting. Like, so those guys are the ones who tend to not work out so well right. in the end. I, I mean, yes, they might let others escape, but they don't generally, they're not the ones to escape themselves. Or at the very For least, the he's going to have a whole lot of security issues on his hands, too. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not, necessarily, <laughs> I'm not necessarily predicting that he's going to die. I think it's plausible that he might die, but, yeah. you know, I mean, like, I mean, it, it, like he's, he's definitely going to, he's doing the best he can. Mm -hmm. he's, he's the guy trying to keep the ship running um, from a security perspective, and... Like, um, interesting little tidbit there with Toby as the beast, you know, asking him, did your wife ever forgive yeah. you? You know, some hints into some background there that isn't so pleasant. Um, yeah, yeah, in that yeah. sense that, okay, so what does that mean? We're dealing with a monster that, you know, is maybe telepathic and can yeah. find out secrets about you and your life and everything. Um, yeah. And then is that, well, and then is, 
um, we don't know what it is that he wants to be forgiven for, and we don't know whether the beast is telling him the truth or whether this is a lie. Right. Like the plot. But there's a finality to what the beast says. Yeah. She, he says, "I'll tell you, she didn't." Yeah. So there, I mean, the implication there is that she's dead, and she right. didn't. She didn't ever right. forgive you. I mean, that's the implication I got. Yeah, anyway. I, 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 agree, I suppose yeah. there's other ways to explain that, but um, that seems to be the case. Yeah. Um. Let's see the others. Ida, for a science officer, she's seems really incre- incredulous when like the doctor and Rose don't seem to know things. Yeah. Um, like she's always asking like. You really don't what? know that. Yeah. What you really don't know that. Yeah, that what? gets a little huh? annoying in the first ten minutes of the episode. That the amount of times that people say, "You can't be here," or "You don't know this," or "You really don't know where you are." It's like okay, well, no. So how about you just tell us? Hmm. Um. Yeah, so, you know, but, I mean, she's fine otherwise. I don't, I, like, I don't know. I, like, there wasn't a lot there. No, like, we're going to get a little bit more with her in the second episode. Okay. And I think she's really... Well, now that a few of them have died, we can focus <laughs> on the other ones. Well, and so. she's going to, she's really the one who has already kind of tapped into that theme of exploration that she said, you know, um, mm-hmm. and you came. Well, how could we not? And, um, and... Right. Well, we've come this far, you know. There's no oh, yeah. going I back mean, now. So she's the she's the scientist who is, you know, consequences mm-hmm. be damned. We're going forward in in the name of science and exploration and everything. So that's yeah, sort of yeah. her. The universe is a big playground. Yeah. Yep. Um, and which is fine. Like that's a yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but, and as yeah. I said, I'm not judging. I don't know that that's an entirely. I'm not saying that's a that's a bad philosophy yeah. but as the, the science officer i think that's her philosophy um so yeah well uh, and also to pull another star trek reference in complete you know uh opposition to spock the science officer uh-huh. yeah <laughs> um you know so anyway um scooty gets pulled out a broken window oh, dies poor scooty um uh jefferson's little poem or quote quoting of the poem there, which hey, another point for Jefferson. He's a manly security guy who knows poetry. Who knows, I mean, you yeah. know, who knows like, Macaulay just, apparently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and of course, there the youth being her attribute that's pointed out. Um, yeah, and how how young and how futile uh, in a way it was to have come for someone so young to have died. But then again. I mean, Rose isn't all that much older, right? And she's the one jumping off into other yeah. I think Rose universes. Is, Rose is nineteen, or at least she was when she started. I don't know. We don't know exactly how long she's been traveling with the Doctor, but she's a, probably almost exactly the same. Like age. same age, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, the, and the poem, the lines he quotes again are that he it it is futile, and she does die young and in a purpose purposeless way, but also. Then the poetry he quotes suggests that she died nobly. Oh. That yeah, that this no, is it's a, a it's good in pursuit way, of something. In pursuit yeah. of this, you know, of you know the, leg- the legacy, the legacy of your race, yeah. you know, and yeah. and pursuing, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and I thought it was and everything. So. 
Yeah, I know. And I thought that was that was great because it does have that feel. But then also the last line that he quotes is and the temples of his gods, mm-hmm. which has an ominous yeah. sense of when you put it together with the beast yeah. and, and, <laughs> and the, the, the cult worship, yeah. you know, of of the Cthulhu and the Cthulhu. The Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no. the, the, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, that's better than that's ood. That's ood. Uh, <laughs> the odd, the odd ood. Um, yeah. Anyway, so no, I, I, yeah, you can't help but make the the connection there to Rose and and the adventures that she's going on with the Doctor, mm-hmm. of course, and the potential implications of that. Yeah. Um, so speaking yeah. of whom, in our last couple minutes, should we talk about our? Oh my Main gosh! Characters. <laughs> last few minutes. Well, we went like ten minutes over on Buffy. Oh, that's we can true. spend a few that's few true. more here. Um, yeah, but you're right. We should, anyways. Regardless of how much time, we should definitely move on. So Rose and the Doctor. Rose and the Doctor. Um, <laughs> uh, everyone leaves home in the end. Yeah. That's what Rose says. Uh, yeah, she seems um, less concerned about the loss of the TARDIS than the Doctor does. And I think for pretty... Yeah. You know, I say that like it's a revelation. Actually, that's not all that surprising. That, you know, for Rose, it's, uh, you know, it's horrible that the TARDIS is gone and we don't want to be stuck here. We want to get out of here. But, okay, so what does that mean? Well, I've lived with the TARDIS. Maybe we could get a mortgage we're gonna, together. <laughs> we're going to get a house. We're going to get jobs. You know, it's it's not so bad. Yeah. And, and it was a nice vacation while it yeah, lasted. And I'm, but, and I'm you know. stuck, but I'm stuck with you, and that's not so bad. And yeah, and yeah. now I think the doctor sees things. We've already had that discussion in the girl in the fireplace about the slow path and how he kind of cheers to the slow path, but like he doesn't really know what that means, and he's never had to live the slow path, well, and, and, it, and he gets... It's a throwback he to... He gets Ajita um, just thinking about having a house with doors, and, like, what does right, that right, right. mean, and that's a different it, thing for him. It's a throwback to um, the girl in the fireplace. Yeah, it absolutely where, is. Yeah. Where he's left behind, and he's like, money, I'm gonna have to learn about money now, like, yeah. what is that? You know, yeah. how do you do this money thing? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, like, a similar sort of feel. Although, obviously, with Rose this time, then, um, whatever her name Renette. was. Renette. Yes, thank you. Man, I'm doing horrible on names tonight. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a throwback to that. And, well, and it's funny because, you know, initially... When, you know, first first scene, you know, they step out and the doctor's like, oh, the TARDIS is a little sickly, you know, and mm-hmm. a little queasy or whatever. Maybe we should leave. Maybe we should go somewhere else. Then, then you know, laughter yeah. and, you know, abandonment of the TARDIS and, yeah. you know, that intersection that later gets thrown into the pit that's being um, opened up by these tidal forces of the fake black hole. Um, but sorry, I said I was going to not reference that again. Um, but yeah, no, I think for, for Rose, yeah, it just, it doesn't seem that bad to her. Like, but for the doctor, I mean, he's literally lost like a friend, you know what I mean? Like this, like we already know that the TARDIS is alive and that, 
I, and we don't know how long he's had the TARDIS. I mean, he's said he's been around 900 years. I don't, you know, we, we question how accurate that figure was, but Mm -hmm. even assuming that, so, I mean, so let's say he got it when he was 30. So he's had it for the last 870 years, you know, like. (laughs) We can safely say he's had it for hundreds of years, whether that's 200 years or 800 years. I don't know, but like a long time. And like you said, we do know it's alive. So there's a relationship there. And I mean, it's not just that it's his way of life, which is being cut off. It's oh, yeah, his only yeah. possession. He says it's it's all I've got, literally the only thing. It's his only material possession, and or at least it encapsulates every possession that he has. And it's the last thing, the last tie to his home planet. And, yeah, and, and didn't he say something? Was it this? Uh, no, a different episode where he talks about a little bit, like very briefly, I think, about like you can only... I mean, it's the last one, so there's no. I don't are, are, like so they're alive. Are well, they Rose procreate says. Some, Rose says, um, "Can you build another TARDIS?" And he says, "They're grown, not built." They're grown. That's right. And, that's right. And, I couldn't. And, I couldn't remember that. And I guess only grown on his planet. So presumably so his planet, which is destroyed. Go, he can't make one, and he can't grow one. So that's it. Yeah, um, I, I I was wondering. So in Father's Day, mm-hmm. he's able to call, almost call the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Remember, he does that thing with the key and yeah. the battery and and all of that. So apparently, that isn't an option here, or they just forgot about it. Yeah, I in, don't know that we're given a real explanation for that. And I think that's just a case of um, there being a lot of different writers with a lot of different concepts and not all of them always totally align about, you know, what you can and can't do. Um, So sometimes with the TARDIS and the screwdriver, there are inconsistencies, basically. No. Never. (laughs) I refuse to believe that. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, no, I mean, and and that's fine, you know, he's going searching. You can rationalize it away. You could say that whatever he did in Father's Day was specific to the alternative universe little time bubble thing or whatever like maybe that only worked then or i don't know you can kind of find ways to explain it sure. but th- i don't think they ever do explain that so so i um, can't <laughs> fair enough um yeah but i mean and that's fine so he has to go looking for it and i mean i'm assuming because i know that there are other episodes after <laughs> this one that or even after the next one that you know they eventually find it um so yeah, I mean, like, kind of you have stated before. There's certain assumptions you can make just by the fact that the series is so many, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, seasons long. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it definitely, yeah, it makes sense that he's going to be way more upset about it. Um, but you see, you see Rose becoming domestic there for a moment. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. Um, yeah, you, you know, and and their their whole conversation. Well, we could, you know, we we. Yeah, we could we could get a house, you know. We could maybe. share, you know, to, whatever t- together, you know, whatever. Yeah, what I mean, if you don't, you know, whatever you want to do is fine. But you know, maybe. And I like I like that transition from the really kind of embarrassed, you know, like 
we could do this, but not if you don't want to, you know, like, don't look at each right, other, right, like, right. whatever, like, you know, we're, I didn't really mean that, I was just kidding, or whatever, and then the, the, the transition from that to the very, very firm way that when he says, uh, uh, not to end up stuck here, and she says, yeah, but that's not so bad, and he says, yeah, and she looks him straight in the eye and says, yes, and, like, all of a sudden mm. you get this, like, confident, like, yes, you know, that's yeah. not bad. Yes. Um, and that's different than the kind of, like, oh, I can't believe I just said that out loud, kind of, like, you know, right. more kind of juvenile thing you get from her a yeah. second before. So that's kind yeah. of Well, and it's an it's, it's a different... Scene. It's a different focus, right? It's it's a fo- you know the embarrassment and whatever is is talking about a potential future yeah. together, mm-hmm. versus the here and now. Yeah, being with you is really cool. Yeah, and and yeah, no, I mean I think that is a different sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't have anything particularly um, insightful to say more than that. I guess if that was even particularly insightful um but anyway so so yeah no i mean i think a good a good little moment and then of course um you know her instructions to him as he's putting on his suit you know don't forget to breathe Uh breathing's good and and then um when she's trying you know talking down to him whatever and and zach being the good uh acting captain that he is tells her to stay off the comms and fat chance you know (laughs) no this is like she may not care as much as he does about the TARDIS. And that's not to say she doesn't care about the TARDIS. I'm sure she does. But, like, she cares about him. Absolutely, And he's, yeah. you know, like, he's not there anymore. So, yeah, you're... She's not severing that link to him. Yeah. Um, you know, without being forced to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting that her phone doesn't work otherwise, uh, you know, to call home or whatever. Because there's that moment where it seems like she wants to call home to her mother. Yeah. Um, when they do realize they may be stuck there for a while, yeah, <laughs> and and even if they do get off, she'll have she won't have any way of getting back, right? You know, to her mother, right? Yeah, right. Um, because I mean, not only are they five hundred years away, but they're also in the far future. So even if she somehow got that distance traveled in a shorter amount of time, she's still in the year forty three thousand or whatever. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean, and the only thing, I mean, we talked about, the only other thing I really had for um, the doctor was, you know, that kind of, again, that love for humanity that you guys are brilliant. I'm going to give you a hug. I mean, you're idiots, right. but I love you anyway. Um, but it's different <laughs> than that kind of earlier you know you're idiots in the sense of you're stupid apes it's like it's a, yeah. it's an affectionate kind of all you know you got right. you're so, so cute you and your exploration you, you dumb dog you're so you, adorable you, yeah, like yeah, it's a yeah. more it's it's a more affectionate <laughs> kind of relationship i think than maybe it was Absolutely. a little while ago um right and i do what i've had this for a couple of weeks now because he keeps saying it and i keep forgetting to mention it but the the repeated sorry i'm so sorry um mm. i mean he says that a lot um and that is really a 10th doctor thing that becomes like okay. i mean i think maybe the ninth doctor said like one time he said i'm sorry or something but like it's the 10th doctor 
a lot does the kind of repeated mm. I'm sorry I'm so sorry so I just want to mention that that's something that's specific to yeah. this, this incarnation of the character yeah interesting now, now that you point that out I do recognize him having said that on a couple of occasions but, yeah and, um, and I, I don't recommend you watch it because it's very spoilery but you can find on YouTube um, a big big long mashups of every sorry and he said he says it like something like a total of like 150 times or something oh my so gosh. it's like three straight and how many episodes that he's in i will i won't spoil that but he says it a lot and so oh yeah no i, I was i was just thinking like a few seasons worth so yeah. you're talking like a couple do, a few dozen at the most right right yeah so like uh, yeah, I mean, he says it. Yeah, like, you don't have to say how many times. I won't, I can't, but, I won't say or how, how many episodes. Said, but, um, I mean, I do know that there's another doctor you, after you him. You do know that. So, yeah. so um, like, I know at some point between now and, yeah, anyway. Yes. That, sorry, but sorry. We won't your say point. What, but my point. point being that in his tenure, he says it something like over a hundred times. And so you can watch three straight minutes and it, it becomes. <laughs> more and more hilarious because it's like how many different ways can you find to say the same line and he finds them like every single yeah. one is different and it it the words start to lose meaning after a while you're just hearing these repeated sounds and different inflections and it just <laughs> yeah. gets funnier and funnier <laughs> but maybe maybe wait until later and, and when you've seen more and aren't worried about spoilers you can go look that up on youtube nice <laughs> sounds good well, that's a good note to end up end on, I think. Yep. Um, cool. Well, we will be coming back next week and talking about uh, Doctor Who and Buffy again. Big surprise. Spoiler alert. <laughs> We're talking about Buffy and Doctor Who again next week. So, shocking. If you would like to, if you would like to join us, feel free to do so. And until then, see you then.